Today in our look through the book of Colossians, we come to a very difficult passage, uh, one that kind of sounds dated and old. Uh, Wonder if it really applies to our culture anymore. In fact, this passage, when uh, there's a preaching schedule for texts to be preached at church, uh, this one is often left out. Uh, People just don't even want to address it because of some of the topics that are brought up and the way that they're addressed. So you guys are brave today. You're going to plunge right on through it, and we're going to see what we can hear from the Word of God, which we believe in our fellowship uh, instructs us through all ages and in all cultures. I think you'll see what I mean from the very beginning. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. Uh, It's worth coming together just to sing that song. I love that song. What a commitment to make to be the instrument of peace of God. Well, we read the passage. Uh, Any of it somewhat offensive to you? Did any of it seem somewhat unfair or unjust or unequal? You know, I have to admit that I find some of it uh, disturbing. I find some of it uh, not fair. You know, we live in an age where we tend to think of men and women as equals, and we think of marriage as a partnership of equals, and yet there in this text... You know, some things are said that sort of turn that upside down, and you think, wow, I don't know if I like that or not. And some of us here, you know, we hear, uh, well, right right there at the beginning, where it it sounds like that one person in a marriage is supposed to give up their rights, and and that they're supposed to sort of just let themselves uh, become less than the other person, and it just doesn't seem fair, but it's right there. Did you see it? Right at the beginning, it says... Men, love your wives. Now, is that fair or not? It doesn't say wives love your husbands. Do you see that in there anywhere? Why is he on my case and not on my wife's case, huh? Men, love your wives, but no, wives, love your husbands. Where's that part? And you kids, you saw it, didn't you? Children, obey your parents whenever they're right. No, no, no. Children, obey your parents when they're cool. No, children, obey your parents in everything. Well, now that may be fair if your parents are, you know, 
Ozzy and Harriet Nelson or Ward and June Cleaver. Uh, I used to be very disappointed. Uh, leave it to Beaver, y'all. Maybe it's caught on one of the cable channels a time or two. But uh, I used to watch it religiously. And ne- I always wondered why my mother didn't wear her pearls and high heels when she mopped the floor. You know, come on. Why don't I have Ward and June Cleaver as parents? But it might be easy to obey them if they're these wise uh, counsel and they're always right. and everything. But what if your parents, what, what instead of, uh, you know, uh, Ozzie Harriet, you have Ozzie Osbourne as a dad. Or, or what if Bart Simpson is your dad? Uh, I won't ask any of y'all to volunteer if you think Bart Simpson is your dad or not. But, you know, what do you do in those cases? And, and more seriously, what do you do when your parents are just really not very nice people? And uh, not everybody that becomes a mother and a dad uh, really know how to be good parents. So what do you do then? And and what's all this deal about these slaves? You know, Paul doesn't say, okay, slaves, get together, have a rebellion, and gain your freedom. But when he comes to talking to slaves, he just says, be good slaves. Be obedient. Work for your masters. Not just when they're looking at you, not just to impress them, but out of a good heart, give service to your masters. Uh, That's one reason why this passage gets kind of slid aside a lot of times, that we don't really want to deal with those things because they just sort of run counter to a lot of our current thinking about marriage, about parenting, and certainly about our social justice system with slavery and masters. But I do want us to spend just a few moments in looking at this passage Because maybe just a surface reading like that misses Paul's real intent about what's going on here. What he's doing in this little short passage is talking about our relationships. And really what he's doing is giving a commentary or giving examples about what he meant in the verse right before that. Now we began reading in chapter 3 verse 18. But let's back up and hear once again verse 17. We looked at verse 17 last week, but you know, if you're like me, I don't remember much about last week. So let's go back and look at verse 17 and see the subject matter that Paul is dealing with as he gets on into these specific examples about relationships. Verse 17 says this, Whatever you do in word or deed... Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So what he's doing is, he's saying, now what does that mean? What does it mean that everything you do is governed by the authority of Jesus Christ? That everything you do, you can do with the blessing of Christ. That every relationship that you have is, is, is done and you conduct yourself in a way that recognizes that your master and your savior is Jesus Christ. So he begins giving some examples, and that's why he tells husbands to love their wives, and that's why he tells wives to submit to their husbands. That's really the one that sort of grates on us a little bit, isn't it? You know, that's not all that Paul said about this. There was another letter that he wrote, and he got into this same mode of thinking, 
And that was the letter to the Ephesian church. And we call it Ephesians chapter 5. And in, the same, in, that, in that passage, he says some of the same things. In fact, he does say, wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. And it's really interesting because when he's doing that, he's really giving commentary on another verse, the verse right before that, 521. Paul likes to do that. Paul likes to throw out a big concept and then say, let's talk about that for a little while. Let me give you some examples. In the Ephesian letter, the passage that he's really giving examples for is chapter 5, verse 21, which says that we should submit one to another. That when we become Christians, that what really dominates and governs our relational aspect of our lives is that we are submissive to one another. Well, how does that work? It really defines what he means by submission, doesn't it? Because what he means by submission is not that one person is in charge and has the other person under his or her thumb. By submission, it doesn't mean that one person's calling the shots and the other one's saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, whatever you want. What it means is, is that each one of us is giving ourselves to the good of the other. That's the only way we can submit one to another is that each one of us decides that we are going to put the other person's needs, the other person's good, the other person's interest ahead of our own. So Paul says in Ephesians that that really when you become Christians, that's what you learn to do. And especially in those relationships that are closest to you. You know, sometimes we sort of practice on the people outside. We're real nice to the people outside, the ones that are a long ways away from us. You know, our lives are sort of concentric circles. We've got our our people we're real close to and then those and we get further out. And sometimes we think, well, okay, I'll be real nice to those people in that outer circle. But that's not where Paul starts. Paul starts right at the very heart. He says, if you are a Christian and you're learning what it means to be submissive one to another, then start at home. And learn what it means to submit to your spouse. Submit one to another. It sort of reminds me of the old Burkeen Faulkner marriage seminars. Anybody remember Carl Burkeen and Paul Faulkner? Oh, aren't they wonderful men? And, and they had a great seminar. I don't know that they do it. They had slowed it down, but I think they sort of stopped now because... Um, after all, after so many years, you know, but what a wonderful service that was to the church and to marriages. And one statement that they made in their seminar that always has stuck with me is that people tend to think of marriage as a 50-50 proposition. You know, you give a little, I'll give a little, we'll compromise. They said, that's wrong. According to the Bible, it's not 50-50. What is it? It's 100-100. That's what makes a marriage strong and good, is that I'm giving totally to you, you're giving totally to me. And that's really what Paul is after, because he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And then he turns right around and says, husbands, love your wives. And you know what? It's the same thing. Because he uses the word agape there, that kind of agape love. And what is agape love? Is it romantic love? Is it, is it the kind of ooey-gooey? No, it's the kind of love where you're just giving of yourself, that you are willing to put yourself as second and put your spouse as first. It's the same thing as submission. So really, Paul is saying the way marriages work is that when you marry someone, you decide that that person Uh, good and well-being comes before yours, but you're also marrying someone 
who's going to put your good and your well-being before their own. And that's what makes it work. Well, what about his choice of words here and why he chose to say this in this way? Why didn't he just use the same word? And I've sort of um, puzzled over that myself. And I wonder if maybe Paul didn't know human nature pretty well or particularly maybe he knew his culture well. And maybe he knew this church in Colossae and he knew this church in Ephesus and he knew that, that to the men, he needed to remind them that when they got married, they pledged not just their financial support, not just their physical presence, not only just their sexual faithfulness, they pledged their love. And he knows how we men can be, that we can be physically present and emotionally absent so many times. And he knows that we can get our eyes set on other prizes and other goals, and we can take for granted what's going on at home. Yeah, that's my wife. Yeah, you know, I'm home. I'm supporting the family. But what I'm really excited about is my job. Or what I'm really excited about is golf. Or what I'm really excited about is this, or this, or this. And, and home life, not that, it's not that I, I leave and not that I you know, don't, but I'm just busy with other things. And that's really where my heart is. Paul says to those men, no, no, no. You promised that your love was going to be your wife. And to the women of his culture in his day, Maybe they were the type of people that tended to kind of take over, you know, just take the family over. They run the family and they do the things. And, and, and uh, maybe I don't, you might have, have you ever known a woman that kind of manipulates her husband a little bit, you know, and she decides what the husband's going to do. And she, you know, it can happen. Do I need to duck right? <laughs> it can happen. And Paul said, you know, when you got married, you pledged that you were going to work for this guy. You were going to help him realize his goals and his dreams. Yeah, he's doing the same thing if you married the right person. If you married another believer who is committed to the Lord too, they're going to be working for you, but you are working for them to help them, to bless them, to give to them what they need to feel good about life and to have a good and to have a blessed life. In all cultures, children are expected to obey. But Paul wanted the children in the church of Colossae to realize that it it wasn't just a cultural thing, that obedience to parents pleases the Lord, that God is watching you to see how well you've learned this lesson, that it really pleases him when he sees. And we could go into why that is, because you really do learn to obey God in learning to obey your parents. Uh, That's a little principle there that, that really works into growing up and maturing. You learn obedience to your father and your mother, and then you transfer that over and realize that you have a heavenly father who also you are obedient to. But the interesting little twist that Paul gives here, it's a reciprocal type uh, relationship because he tells the parents, now parents, you guys be worth obeying. (laughs) I've told the children they're supposed to obey you, but I'm telling you, 
You better be the kind of parents that deserve that kind of respect and that kind of obedience. And primarily what he points out is their, uh, uh, their attitude toward their children. Now, he doesn't say necessarily that to be a good parent, you're supposed to lay down the law in your house. You're supposed to give your kids rules and enforce those rules and to be a good disciplinarian. Now, I could point out other passages, particularly back in the Old Testament, where discipline is enjoined upon parents. But at this time, Paul is just assuming that you're going to do that. But he's saying, don't forget while you're giving discipline to your children to make sure they're getting the love that they need. One of the most fascinating studies I've ever seen about parenting, I read a long time ago, and it, it dealt with parents, and it, it, it had two different uh, poles. And on the one pole was, was love and indifference, and the other pole was discipline and permissiveness. And it made sort of a grid. And it said, okay, what is the most effective form of parenting? Well, the most effective form of parenting is a disciplinarian who is heavy on the love and affirmation, the affection and the caring. That is the best parent. Guess what the worst parent is? One who is heavy on the rules and on the discipline and light on the love. That really, the second best way to raise your children is to give them no discipline, but give them love. That's how important it is that our children know how much we love them. That they don't feel like that their love depends upon, that your love for them depends upon who they are and what they do and what they accomplish. You know, that, th- that your love for them is unconditional. That you will always love them. And that they feel secure in that. And yeah, if you want to be the best parent that you can, you add the discipline. You add the rules. But on it, it's just soaked through and through with the fact that these kids know that they love you, that you love them. Slaves and masters is interesting, isn't it? Because you would think maybe here Paul would say, okay, slaves, we're going to get rid of this institution. It's really abusive. You know, we need to, Christianity is going to free all the slaves. But he doesn't even talk about things like that. He just says, you know, it is what it is. And in that culture, you need to accept who you are and do the best that you can in the situation that you've got. And do it in a way in which you're serving the Lord. If your master doesn't deserve to be served, you know, if he's really not a good person, well, remember that what you're doing is really serving the Lord. Now, it's interesting that we can take that and kind of apply it to our work situation at times. Sometimes you may find yourself in an employment situation in which you may not have much respect for your boss, that you really don't know that that boss deserves your best effort. Well, maybe he doesn't or maybe she doesn't. But God does. And you work and give it your best, as Paul says, because you're doing it not for your earthly master or your earthly boss. You're doing it for the Lord. But Paul does add a little wrinkle to all of this. After he tells the slaves, work hard because you're working for the Lord, he turns to the masters and says, and you better treat these guys right. You better treat these guys with justice You better treat these guys with mercy. Because you may think of yourself as a master, but you have a master too. And if you want this whole situation to work, you better treat those under you the way you want to be treated by your master. Sort of the golden rule, isn't it? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
And so those of us who find ourselves in positions of authority, don't let it go to your head. Realize that you're not the ultimate authority. And you better be treating those that work with you and for you in the same way that you want your master to be treating you. Now, do you see how these principles that Paul gives us to the, when he writes to the Colossians really do transform themselves into all cultures? In fact, Christianity can flourish in any culture that's ever been and that is currently. This is a principle that we've learned in doing missions. Way back when, when we first started doing missions, we really were doing as much Americanization as we were Christian, uh, what's the word would be, Christianizing, I guess would work there. You know, we were taking a little slice of America and planting it in these other cultures and saying, no, this is how you do things, this is what you do if you're Christian, when really we were saying this is the way you do it if you're an American. But we've learned to take Christianity and put it into the culture of the particular area and let it flourish and let it work within that culture. That's been a great revolution and a great help to us in, uh, in, in doing missions. We've also learned that Christianity can survive any cultural changes that are occurring. I know right now we're in the process of doing a lot of hand-wringing because our culture is changing. And, and, and some of us really get upset because we want to change it back and we feel like we're almost powerless, but things are changing around us. And then we begin wringing our hands and wondering, well, will our church survive this? Will Christianity survive this? The answer is yes, that Christianity has survived cultural changes and it will survive cultural changes. But one more point is, is that even though these Christian principles of relationship are not a call to social revolution. This is not a call to go out and change the world. They will change the world. That if we are committed in our own marriages to an equality and to a mutual self-sacrifice and self-giving, we will change the view not only of, of ourselves in marriage, but of those who are around us in marriage. If we learn as children to be obedient to our parents, and we learn as parents to be loving and, 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 and loving guides and mentors and, and disciplinarians for our children, it will change not just that little small part of culture, but to all the culture around that sees what's going on. And if we go about and, and teach and preach that there is equality in, the, in our justice system and that we are to treat one another in work situations with respect and with honor, then it will revolutionize that as well. This is why wherever Christianity has gone in this world over the years, wherever it's gone and taken root and matured, that women's, women's roles have been elevated, that children have become loved. You know, not every culture loves its children, but Christians do. And wherever Christianity is, children are once again valued. And wherever Christianity has gone and matured, slavery has ceased. So maybe Paul knew what he was talking about when he gave us these things anyway. Maybe he really knew, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that if we would just listen and learn and to put our relationships in the name of the Lord. 
and to treat one another beginning at home with our spouses, with our parents, with our children, with our co-workers. We will treat them as if we are dealing with them in the Lord. Then everything would change. Our call as church is to come and to be in the Lord and have the Lord live in you. And let him begin changing you in these ways. Teaching you how to be a husband. Teaching you how to be a wife. Teaching you how to be a godly child. Teaching you how to be a godly parent. Teaching you how to be a good boss, a good worker, a good person in society. But it all starts if the Lord is in you and you are in the Lord. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. We're going to have people stationed around at the back and in the sides, up here at the front. And if you have never given yourself to the Lord, or if the Lord has not lived in you for some time, and you want to open your heart to him again, take advantage of this opportunity and come and let us know.